Welcome to Diminishing Returns! This week we are looking at one of my personal favourites, Beavis and Butthead Do America, as well as taking pit stops along pretty much everything Mike Judge has done in his career. It's all very good stuff. Without further ado, I must warn you that this episode features an astonishing amount of admittedly very mild spoilers. Spoilers for... Joe's Apartment! Daria! Idiocracy! South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, King of the Hill, Ali G in Da House, The Spongebob Squarepants Movie, A Goofy Movie, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, The Simpsons, Rugrats Go Wild, Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, Planet of the Apes, Saboteur, X-Men, Goldeneye, Live and Let Die, Ghostbusters 2, Men in Black 2, Weekend at Bernie's 2, Beavis and Butthead, and Beavis and Butthead Do America. Enjoy. I don't, I don't know how to intro it. Beavis, Beavis and Butthead. Um. <laughs> that, that one's the principal. <laughs> Getting upset. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was good, yeah. It's going to be a lot of that in this episode. Uh, Hello and, and welcome to Diminishing Returns. We are looking at a bit of an odd pick this week. Uh, the The... I was going to say classic, I don't know if it quite counts. The 1996 animated comedy feature film spin-off of a TV series, Beavis and Butthead Do America, which Yay. is, uh, yeah, I, I've been pushing for us to do this, yeah. I'm not really sure. So why have you been pushing for us to do this? <laughs> uh, You've always spoken very highly of this film. Oh, it's great. I love it. Okay. I love Mike Judge. I think he's excellent. Can I ask, uh, Calvin, had you seen this film before? Are I've you, never seen this. I've never seen any Beavis and Butthead anything before. Interesting. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, what, this is going to be interesting. What about yourself? Yeah, I like it. I really like it. I mean, I'm I'm not quite old enough to remember Beavis and Butthead the first time around, um, but mostly because we never had any kind of MTV or anything like that. We just had yeah. the old four channels. But, um, but the film, so the film is basically my main awareness of Beavis and Butthead. I have seen That's... episodes since, but that was kind of my introduction to Beavis and Butthead. And I was, when that film was released, I was 12 years old. I was right in that demographic. I don't think I saw it at the cinema, but I'll have seen it on video shortly after. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, I was the right age for it. I really like it. I watched it again just the other day and I really still like it. I think it's, well, I won't go into too much detail, but yes, I'm a big fan. Uh, and I like what they did with it to convert it from the short mm. format to the to the long. Yeah, perhaps you could explain to me what Beavis and Butthead was and how it started, because I've never seen a short, uh, apart from what I watched like in preparation for this, <laughs> I watched a couple on YouTube. Uh, from what I understand right. from the limited research I've done, is that they were basically animated shorts that played in between music videos, was it? Uh... Uh, essentially, yeah. Okay. Um, Mike Judge went and made... Uh, a handful of short films just for the hell of it. He was very um, keen just to get out and make stuff and get involved in some animation film festival, I think, that was passing through his area at one point. And he ended up making this thing called Frog Baseball, uh, among a few others, but that's the, the most famous one, which was just these two kids 
I don't think they're named in it, but they're they're Beavis and Butthead, and they just walk along, see a frog, and then just start like smacking it with a baseball bat and playing baseball with it, and that's basically all there is to it. It's not particularly great, it's not particularly clever or funny, <laughs> but it, it's very raw and anarchic, and I'm not sure of the details exactly, but that made its way to some people at MTV, and they were doing testing with it, among other things, and apparently it tested like insanely popularly with their demographic that they were trying to appeal to. It was huh. to the point that the people in their focus groups were actually asking them if they could buy a copy to take home at the end of the day, which, huh. as I'm sure you can imagine, was like a huge, huge ad. Like, that that meant big bucks to the execs at the time, and so they basically ended up giving this guy a TV series who'd, you know, didn't really have any experience doing any of this stuff on any real level. He wasn't he wasn't even an experienced animator, was he? <laughs> no, not really, no. But it says a lot about what was happening at the time, I think, in terms of TV mm. and the way TV was developing. And like now, twenty-five years later, we we it's the internet is provides all this stuff so rapidly. I mean, this is the equivalent of something going viral. You know, it just yeah, it just caught absolutely unexpectedly. It's the same thing that happened to South Park. The right people, and and it's it's kind of like how South Park started. I know we'll be coming back to that in a bit. Yeah, um, but it was just like you know when something just catches. We're not quite sure why mm. it just comes out of nowhere, mm. but uh, in this case, it was TV executives who found it somehow. Yeah, I, like I say, I think it might have gone through a few little film festivals and things to get there in the first place. If I think he might have, my understanding is Mike Judge just sent VHS tapes out in the post to all these product, like all these companies like MTV and places like that, hmm. which was something you could do a lot more easily back then. And he drew little doodles of like weird redneck characters on the label instead of just writing frog baseball or whatever, which he says is con- he's convinced that's why people actually watched his tapes instead of the hundreds of other tapes that were no yeah. doubt dumped in their laps at the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, this we're talking like 1992, 1993, 1994, this was all happening. So in fact, no, this must have been about 1992. So mm. really, what what adult animation is there on western screens at this time there's there's rudimentary early the simpsons bart mania is taking the world by storm mm. and that's kind of it so i i can completely see how people lapped up a, an opportunity for something else mm. and something a bit less wholesome than the simpsons certainly was i mean the simpsons mm was quite subversive for its day, but it's still very a peaceful, loving family for the most part, other than when Homer like uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> strangles his kid and stuff. <laughs> um, whereas this was these two vile teenage boys, mm. you know, just uh, <laughs> harming and uh, harming frogs, talking about sex and things, mm. just brain-dead idiots, setting fires to things, that was a big controversy. Mm. Um, There there was concern that they were, like, encouraging children to go on arson sprees and things. Mm. I mean, there there was quite a a backlash against Beavis and Butthead, actually, from parents when Mm. it came out. But But that's when you know you've made it, isn't it? Yeah. I think South Park came shortly afterwards and everyone just sort of (laughs) turned their attention to that instead. Well, I think even outside of um, animation aimed at adults, like especially Nickelodeon, and I know that Nickelodeon and MTV, I'm not Mm. sure if they were at the time, but I'm 
now they're both under the Viacom, the Paramount umbrella. Um, but even on that channel in the early 90s, there was a real shift towards really um, anarchic, uh, more auto-driven animated content, yeah. like the Ren and Stimpy show and Rocco's Modern Life and yeah. um, Hey Arnold, you know, things that weren't necessarily the traditional... Uh, you know, wholesome format that parents wanted their kids to watch. It was a lot more slapstick and um, a bit more aimless, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, yeah, Beavis and Butthead started in 1993 and it was intended as, yeah, just, just content that they could put in in amongst the music videos and in amongst the... Uh, what was his name? Kurt Loder? Is that the, the guy, Alan? Um, I don't know. Whoever it was who presented MTV News, who's like a big deal to people of a certain age in America. <clears throat> I think he was called Kurt Loder, but I don't know. Yeah, they, they just had these five-minute episodes that could be cut in and amongst there. Other than when they did a double-length episode or so, something like that. Most of the episodes were just five-minute short stories, basically. little th- Just five-minute shorts about Beavis and Butthead doing something, usually next to nothing mm. you know plots would be beavis and butthead buy food from a vending machine or something like that which i, I realize alan um got a feature film pitch out of last <laughs> week but <laughs> um, but i mean it, it was stuff like that or you know beavis and butthead wash a car or things like that that, that was generally the extent of it and and then there'd also be about five minutes of them just watching music videos and talking over the top, which my understanding is was basically just Mike Judge going into a sound booth and improvising and huh. just, you know, kind of like mystery science theatre, but mm. not as difficult to watch because they were, you know, editing the best <laughs> comments down into a, a few minutes. I love mystery science theatre. Oh, I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, it's it's very similar. It was just, and the, the benefit of them doing it that way was that um, obviously they didn't have to do very much animation and they could repeat a lot of basic animation of just the two of them sat on a sofa in front of a TV. So mm, mm. they were getting, you know, five minutes of content from music videos that MTV already was clear to watch. The Yeah, because you you see on the, well, the bits where they're um, talking over it, like you'll you'll cut to them like watching something and maybe making some small movements, then it cuts to the music video for whenever they're talking. So they don't even have to bother animating, like, mm. lip sync or anything mm. like that. Yeah. It's literally just, he'll go into a sound booth and write, we'll just bang out all these episodes in one day. There's one That's particular animation of Butthead slapping Beavis a few times, which was repeated at, like, almost every segment. <laughs> just, that that was the most repeated bit, I think. But yeah, I mean, that that was the bulk of it. They, they were just little idents, essentially, just mm. to bulk up the, the MTV running time let them bring things up to the end of the hour so another show could start Mm. and it works and it works in the context of a music channel where it's like yeah we're showing music videos we're we're holding people's attention for three minutes at a time and so it makes sense in that context and it it works with the format yeah it Mm. works but then you know the amount of like like we were talking about before it really did penetrate the the cultural zeitgeist i guess it it really took hold and was a, a big part of pop culture so it, it just made financial sense for them to make a, a film at the time even though i'm sure lots of people were against the idea because you know how are we going to turn these five minute plots into a full 90 minute runtime it's just not going to work i'm sure there was lots of people decrying the idea but mike judge agreed to do it because he was sick of it and desperate to get out of his contract with MTV and I, I believe they cut him some sort of deal whereby 
he could do the movie in exchange for two fewer seasons on his contract <laughs> or something like that. It, it, there was some kind of deal that they cut that meant that he got out of his contract sooner, which is why he turned his attention to the film. But hmm. the, the film, if you ask me, I, I think it's a real labour of love. And it's it's not just a, a quick cash-in job no. that it could have very easily been. I think it's clear that the people involved put a lot of time and effort into it. Can we just talk briefly about, in terms of making it into a film, I, I looked into MTV Films, and from what I can tell, the only one they did before this was Joe's Apartment. I've never heard of that. Do you know what it is? Yes, I have heard of it, although I've never seen it. And it was uh, based on, it's Jerry O'Connell, isn't it? So that's how you know it's going to be good. It's a, <laughs> um, it, was, it was based on a short film that was made for MTV. Uh, um, it's not animation. So it, there's cockroaches in it that are, I think they're animated. I, I've, I haven't, I don't think I've seen it all. I think I've just seen clips of it. Well, I might have seen it some time ago. But yeah, it's just a silly little comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but that's the only thing I can tell that was released before this in terms of MTV films. And that was released in 1996 as well. Mm. So presumably, because Beavis and Butthead is animated, it was probably greenlit before that, maybe. Oh, it's hard to tell. But definitely in the terms of that first wave and mm. perhaps the su- well, success of Beavis and Butthead led to us getting things like Jackass yeah. movie, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> but, doubt. But yeah, it's um I mean I'm look basically I'm looking now at a list of MTV films productions and they're all like co productions with other companies obviously but yeah. uh like they've got things like um election uh in nineteen ninety nine. Oh really? And, uh, yeah like look, weird things like that. Um <laughs> which you wouldn't necessarily expect from them. But they're obviously They'd made a bit of money, so they were like, "Oh, right, we mm. could invest." And then you've got, the, and then you've got the things you expect, like the Jackass and uh, a few of the others, the the like the um, you know the tie-in things that are the, their own shows. I know that um, Beavis and Butthead wasn't the only animation on there at the time. They they had an animation block that was quite experimental at the time. That uh, Aeon Flux, if you're familiar with that, oh wow, on they, there they, and they, some they, other things. They made that into a film with Charlize Theron, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if MTV were involved in the. They film, were, yes. But they well, were they? Huh. Well, there you go. Yeah, um, I mean, that was something that was going on on MTV at roughly that time, and I, I know it's meant to be very good. Um, I've only seen the film, which isn't, but... Hmm. I mean, my understanding is MTV was just a bit of a playground, to be honest. It, it's similar to, similar to BBC Three when it launched in this country before it got watered down and became less of a dumping ground, because I think when something is just such a low stakes <laughs> arena to to play in and no one really cares you get all these kind of weird innovative things being shoved on there and coming out of it mm. i mean I, what i think's clear is i i think mike judge is an incredibly talented man and they were just very lucky to basically snap him up be the people to discover him essentially mm. where i stand with beavis and butthead because i've not really spoken about this yet the film was my first introduction to them beyond a you know, I knew that they were these cartoon characters, but the first thing I ever really saw of them was the film. Um, I think I just happened to be watching TV late at night and it was on, you know, BBC Two or something at like two in the morning. Um, and I just happened to catch it. But I've since gone back and, and watched all of the show and everything. And it's a weird one, really, because the show isn't great. <laughs> um, and, and Mike Judge himself, like, openly really doesn't like 
a lot of the show to the point that he refuses to let about a third of it be released on DVD because he's wow. so embarrassed by it. So when you try and buy these DVD sets, they're called the uh, the Mike Judge Collection. And <laughs> they're about two thirds of the the show that was produced. The the third that Mike Judge likes, the third he isn't like embarrassed by to the point that he refuses to let it out there. And what little of the music videos they were able to clear the licenses mm. for mm. and I th- that's something that's worth mentioning the the licensing issues with those old episodes is a nightmare and i think that's a big part of why it isn't repeated and shown on other channels like incessantly because although they're only like little 5 10 15 minute episodes they generally add up to a a solid you know 15 minute block or half hour block of programming you know, it'd be very easy to slot them into a a normal TV schedule. But there are a handful of episodes that are very good. It's just most of the episodes don't really have a storyline because they're, you know, they're about five minutes long. So it will be beginning and middle and no ending. They were just churning them out, weren't they? Yeah. And it was just sort of like, okay, it's like, and so, and it, it did develop as it went on, like, uh, because you got more characters that had a bit more, a bit more rounded, and, and Beavis and Butthead themselves became a little bit more kind of, well, uh, more likable, I suppose, in a, mm. in a way. Yeah, uh, they were less uh, violent. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but that was, uh, but I think it just sort of that's what happens with any show, isn't it? Things develop yeah. and they change slightly, and I think he, he sort of honed his craft a little bit more as it went along. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, speaking of other characters, though, are you are you both familiar with Daria? Uh, I've I'm aware of it, but I've never seen it. Is she in the film? Daria Daria's a character in Beavis and Butthead. I don't think she's in the film, ah. but she she Daria is a spinoff from Beavis and Butthead. Mm. Um, for whatever reason, MTV greenlit this spinoff. It doesn't it doesn't have any real crossover other than the main character being this sort of sarcastic, intelligent young woman who's pissed off with everything. She would often pop up in the old show and she'd normally be a voice of reason who'd just sort of say, like, for God's sake, Beavis and Butthead, you know, this isn't how this works. You've got you've to go over there and sign up on that sheet or just something like that. And they'd go and do it. And my best guess is that someone was trying to get a show commissioned at MTV. They said, right, well we'll let you do it if you rewrite it so it's about this character from Beavis and Butthead. We'll do a spin-off. Uh, I get the impression that there's a bit of animosity between both parties, to be honest, because Daria completely... Like, there's no... It's one of the most disconnected spin-offs I've ever seen. I think there's, like, a reference to those boys from my old school in a trailer for Daria. Hmm. Well, no, in the, in the first episode... In the first episode, Daria and her family have moved to a new town. And yeah. so they're like, oh yeah, we used to live in Highland, now we're here. And they're like, that's it, that's the... And that's that, the... that is the extent of it. There's no, like, Beavis and Butthead never pop up or anything. And then when Beavis and Butthead was revived a few uh, years ago, at one point one of them even says, like, oh yeah, whatever happened to that that Daria girl? And uh, I think Butthead just goes, oh yeah, I think she died. <laughs> and that's the, that's the last of it. And it's like, right... Well, from what I read, the, the, the person who created Daria, as in for Beavers and Butthead, someone, the person who drew the character, whatever, they said, oh, can we take this character and like create this spin-off series? And Mike Judge went, yeah, of course, do what you want. And, so, and then so yeah. they did, and then it ended up becoming... So I don't know if Mike Judge ever really made any money out of it. I think they just sort of like, you, oh, separate, it was enough. a separate thing. So he was. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's why. He's, he's just, well, but, I, uh, I tell you what, Daria is quite good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've watched it all. 
it's to be honest, it's better than Beavis and Butthead in terms of overall consistency. It's a nice little angsty teen comedy thing, and and uh, I, I just find it quite ironic because I'm painting very broad strokes here, but my my general experience seems to be that people who did like Daria and watch it when they were younger were all girls <laughs> of a certain age, and people who did like Beavis and Butthead and watched it were all boys of a certain age, and there doesn't seem to be much crossover there, so it's a very odd thing that happened, but but whatever, you know. Um, I suppose while we're talking about spin-offs, the, um, there's a whole load of all-but-official uh, spin-offs from this show, so uh, Calvin Tom, Tom Anderson in the film, uh, when you watched it, did he remind you of anyone? Oh, God, it's just clicked now, yes. It's King of the Hill, isn't it? Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Oh, there goes my pitch. Oh. Crap. <laughs> well, King of the Hill was just like completely and utterly. Oh, I can't believe I forgot about King of the Hill. Let's take <laughs> uh, this guy and do a sitcom about him. Yeah. And to the point that if you if you dig up any of the old, uh, there's some really old pencil test drawings and things of Hank Hill, and he looks a lot closer to. Tom Anderson or whatever his name is, mm. but you know, I, I I think MTV owned the rights and Fox were mm. obviously a different network, so they didn't make any sort of official connection between the two. Of course, yeah, yeah. And then <sighs> and then the other one is um, when King of the Hill was cancelled, he immediately went into production on another show called The Good Family, mm. uh, which is about a hippie. It's basically the opposite of King of the Hill. It's about a really left wing progressive like hippy dippy family and it's just the teacher mr what's his name mr van van dreisen yeah Mm. it's just him (laughs) and they did the exact same thing but it didn't Mm. work very well that time it worked a lot better the first time around Mm. so i mean yeah there's a there's a lot of life in in what they've been doing here and i don't know if either of you have seen idiocracy as well Mm mm-hmm Nope. It's a it's a filmy made. It's I, I'm quite a big fan of it. it. It really went under the radar. Fox kind of buried it for whatever reason. But I think it's a solid, entertaining comedy, and it's essentially like what would happen if everyone in the world was Beavis and Butthead. It's about a guy who gets frozen and wakes up in the future, and society's dumbed down to the point that he's the smartest man on earth. But anyway, uh, yeah. So Beavis and Butthead. Can we talk? about the revival series in 2011 before the film sure yeah have you seen any of it i've seen a few of them yeah um and basically i just want to talk about it now because it's essentially the same as the previous series oh yeah they they like didn't skip a beat it's bizarre they moved to hd widescreen and they moved to a half hour time slot which meant that you generally got two episodes stuck together but yeah it just did it as two episodes it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like a longer yeah. stories you know the same way that things like spongebob squarepants or whatever do that though you know it, it's not unheard of but the, the one thing i wanted to bring up about it the, the main thing i noticed was that because obviously mtv has changed in the years now instead of sitting there talking about music videos they sit and they're talking about uh, jersey shore and stuff like that yeah but but the, the major difference that i could see there was the difference between, you know, Mike Judge improvising as, like, probably going back to, to his own teenage years of being that kind of mm. scatological humour and just and just saying swear words because it's funny and things like that, yeah. to, to like, now Mike Judge, obviously, like, a man in, in his 50s or whatever, who uh, was just watching Jersey Shore and going, look at this shit, look what <laughs> they're doing, but then through the voices of Beavis and Butt-Ed, and they just came across as too satirical and too clever, mm. and, like, when Beavis and Butt-Ed are smarter than the things that the, the MTV yeah. 
you're showing, it, it changes the tone of it completely. I mean, it was it was funny, but it just it didn't didn't quite fit the form anymore. I think it was interesting that they were that innovative though, because they I, I think they did a few music videos, but they also did like you say the reality nonsense on MTV. Uh, in at least one episode, they did a movie review section, and they had Beavis and Butthead reviewing the Human Centipede. No way. <laughs> yeah, just watching footage from the film and stuff. Oh, that sounds fun. Um, so it, it was quite a nice way of rolling with the times, I thought. But I, I know what you're saying. It was a lot less rough and ready. But I mean, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Uh, I found it really funny, but it, it, I think it was just a change in the terms of like Mike Judge couldn't bring himself down to that level to just sort of be jokey yeah. with it. He had, he was just like, it was Beavis and Butter taking the piss out of like Snooky and stuff like that. So yeah. it was, it worked, but yeah. Yeah. And, but I mean, I think the actual, the story part of the episodes, the bulk of the show, I, I would say that revival season is the best season of the show by a mile. And I know that's not a massively popular opinion amongst fans of Beavis and Butthead, but I think it's clear as day that Mike Judge had learned a lot on his time uh, on King of the Hill and th- similar shows. And, it, and yeah, there's actually a beginning, middle, and an end to most episodes. There's actually a coherent narrative. In fact, my, my understanding is when talking about making the revival a, a thing that was going to happen... He actually said, "You know what? Maybe we should actually try making some good episodes for a change because <laughs> he had such disdain for the old stuff that he'd made." <laughs> Every few years, apparently, he'll talk about getting a new film together or reviving the show again or something like that. And he's he's said a lot of things about wanting to pick up with the characters as old men and things like that. At one point, he was talking about coming round to the idea of a live-action film with, uh, I think Johnny Depp had expressed interest in starring in it as one well, of the Johnny movies. Depp had said he always did Beavis impressions, yeah. But Johnny yeah. Depp, Johnny, that's the sort of thing that Johnny Depp would do, though. That's the, that's the beauty of it. Um, but should, can we talk quickly about uh, a potential uh, casting for the live-action that they were talking about in the mid-90s? When it, oh, when, yeah? When MTV, oh, was, that, was that on the table? It way? was on the table. I don't know how quickly it was taken off. Mike Judge was against it at the time. But but someone basically... It's weird, isn't it? Because in, in the 90s, that was a that was all the rage. People loved a live-action version of a, a cartoon. Flintstones. You couldn't talk about making a film of a, a cartoon without people going, oh, so is it going to be live-action or whatever? People were always going on about live-action Simpsons movies. And it was... And and it just it strikes me like such a bad idea unless you're like unless you're doing it for the novelty like with the Flintstones. Mm. Um, Plus, there was enough of a, seems dis- to a, a detachment with the Flintstones. It was thirty years later. Yeah, and get away with that. Yeah, mm. and it's it's something that seems to have died off now. I don't think you really get people saying, "Oh, you're gonna." If they announced a Rick and Morty movie tomorrow, you wouldn't have any confusion about it whatsoever. I think everyone would understand. Right, it's going to be an animated Rick and Morty movie. Great. Although, having said that, Archer, the people behind Archer keep talking about the potential for doing a live-action movie, but, but Archer's a lot more grounded. It's very limited animation. and Well, anyway, the, the, like I say, I don't really know how far down the chain this got, but the people who were talked about at the time yeah. were Chris Farley as Butthead and David Ooh. Spade as Beavis. Oh, Whoa. <laughs> He's in the film, isn't he? Which, David Spade? Is he not? Has he not got a little cameo? Am I confusing him? David Spade is an uncredited voice in the movie, oh. but I don't know who he played or uh, it's, it's not much help. He's cre- he's on IMDb as an uncredited voice, so oh. 
that yeah, might not yeah. even be accurate. But if they were talking about him at the time, it would make sense. And and yeah, just going back to the revival, it only lasted one season, which is because MTV had changed <laughs> so much. But what is even on MTV now? It's I... well, exactly. Oh, oh okay. it's all reality TV. It's, <laughs> There's it's... no music on it anymore. That's the... yeah, <laughs> that's the hmm. strange thing. And apparently, Beavis and Butthead was like very healthy on there in terms of its ratings. I think it was like the second highest rated thing on the channel mm. like that year. Mm. But it didn't test well with their target demographic. Their target demographic had moved from Trumpy Gen X kids to teenage girls who watch My Sweet Sixteen. So they didn't pick it up for another season on the grounds that it just didn't fit their their target demographic. And so interesting. I think they were shopping it around to other networks very briefly, but then Mike Judge got silicon valley off the ground and he's been busy making that ever since and hmm. so i don't know you know he said it could still come back again i guess in a couple of years time when silicon valley wraps up yeah it sounds like he's he's quite happy to go back to it every now and then isn't he like yeah. and like i said he, he seems to have this idea of going back to it when they're old men in a care home or something hmm. so and it's um, interesting he, he does say he's very proud and fond of the characters and it you know he, he thinks it's some of the best stuff he's ever done even though he doesn't like the early stuff so yeah i mean he does seem very willing like you say to revisit it and i think that's mm. cool i think that's the right attitude to have that's why not and that they are such versatile characters as well you know they they did a little skit introducing was it the third jackass movie and things like that like he can just kind of bring them out of retirement just to do look yeah i saw bits and bobs like that i saw a clip of them like they're presenting an award at mtv music or whatever music award yeah like that sort of thing so they yeah, yeah. they just drop them into stuff they've, mm. they've got enough cultural resonance still just to be able to do yeah that. before again before we go on the film can we quickly talk about its connection to south park yeah because it's obviously an influence um and i don't mm. think south park would be around without it they're big um they certainly were very chummy with trey parker and matt stone and mm. mike judge like i think they were all kind of this clique uh mike judge voiced kenny at the end of the south park mm-hmm. movie when he says goodbye you guys and he, trey parker's on a little there's some sort of documentary on one of the dvds um that was made about the making of beavis and, Be- beavis and butthead and it's trey parker just sat there going on about how much of an influence it was and hmm. he said it's like the blues in that it's kind of all the same but that isn't a problem and you're fine with that you're fine to just kind of watch the same her you said this word that sounds like a rude word over and over and over and you know he's speaking very highly of it when he said it it's just hmm. yeah well it, it it did just not just in terms of direct influence on them as creators but it paved the way for south park yeah. to be something that absolutely a, a tv station would go okay let's make that and in, and just in terms of like the the crappy animation style like it doesn't have to be you know yeah. neat it, it can be rough and ready and we'll just throw it together mm. Oh, that's the thing. You you should watch Calvin the the very early Beavis and Butthead shorts. I mean, mm. even the very early episodes are incredibly roughly animated. Like huh. it, it, it's Mike Judge drawing everything basically in the first few shorts, mm. just self animating. So they are. That's cool. It is, very, it, it, it is exactly like an animated interstitial that you'll see on a uni t- uni TV station. Like that's yeah, <laughs> that's the level it's at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> shall we? Shall we talk a bit about the film? Probably should, shouldn't we? Yes. Well, I I was, I was holding off. I kept putting us off talking about the film because the film is such of the 
the the coup de grace of the whole thing that I feel like it would be that's what we need to kind of close on. I didn't want to then have to do addendums. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, the film Beavis and Butthead do America. Uh, we've taken a short format characters that don't seem to have any great substance and put them <laughs> yeah. put them into a long uh, well feature length format. How how do we make it work? Calvin, I'm very eager to hear what you make of this because I think I was trying to get you to watch this for years, going back to uni. And yes, yes, it's only just happened. I, and I, I, you're so difficult to gauge with this sort of thing. Like you could easily, in fact, can I can I quickly talk about? I'm going to go back to when I first saw this film. It was my first introduction to the characters in any real capacity. I spent the first twenty minutes absolutely infuriated with their I couldn't get over it it really did my head in after about 20 minutes I was used to it uh, by the end of the film like I loved it I thought it was brilliant I found it funny but my experience has been because I then went and bought the DVD and showed this to loads of friends at school and every last one of them was like fidgeting in their seat saying oh for god's sake oh they could have just not done this noise every 10 <laughs> seconds every last one of them went through the same experience i had which was just being like unable to cope and then just kind of getting used to it and deciding that they loved it by the end of it and you know we'd yeah. go to school and be doing the noise and everything and <laughs> it's um it is similar to what's going on with rick and morty at the minute actually that that puts a lot of people off when they first watch it because the, the the dialogue's so improv ready and they stutter over their words and they say morty every other line morty rick, oh, rick, oh, and, and 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 rick burps half his dialogue and, and just stuff like that so again it kind of takes a little bit of getting used to but anyway my point is without someone there to to force you to pay attention i could see it being incredibly abrasive for you um, but also, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't like it anyway. <laughs> I think, I, if I can predict, I think Calvin will like everything about this film except Beavis and Butthead. Because I think yeah. Demi Moore, Bruce Willis, and that whole plot, he'll like Robert Stack and Cloris Leachman, he'll absolutely love. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the general plot, I think, works really nicely. Um, mm. And I think that is the trick to why this film works. They've created a yes, plot and I then agree. just sort of dropped Beavis and Butthead in it as almost casual well, observers like they're watching a music video it's like almost like well, yeah, that uh, not quite well that yeah much, i mean but. what i don't want to get too arty farty pretentious here but um i think one of the most interesting things about this film is that it is a very rare example of a western film a mainstream western film in which we have completely passive protagonists mm. and it works. Yeah. It's not to the detriment of the film. It's it's one of its strengths. And no, and no emotional journey either. They're exactly the same. Yeah. End as well as yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's let's Calvin over to you. Well, I mean, there was no point in me even really being here because Alan just summed up exactly how I feel about it. <laughs> so kind of kind of crazy. And, and, and same with that soul. Like I've got in my notes, like for the first twenty minutes, I was infuriated by all the huh, huh, and like they they, they they do say that. The, the the other one's name at the end or start of every sentence. It's like, what do you want to do, Beavis? I don't know, but head, what do you want to do? Beavis, should we go to... And that really got <laughs> on my nerves, except I never came through to love it at the end. I just, I don't know if you, it's just like Stockholm Syndrome. You just get used to it. It, it really once. is, yeah. It's, it's I think you weird. just get, you tune it out. I think that's what it is. You get, yeah, you get used to it, you tune it out, and then 
when it comes to watch the film again, you're like, oh yeah, it's these Beavis and Butthead guys that I enjoyed so much last time, and you're just kind of on board with it. And it's and it's also it's also a very fun impression to do at school. So <laughs> yes. That probably plays into it. But yeah, it was basically. I mean, my whole pitch coming up is all about Tom Anderson. I really liked <laughs> the principal, the hippie teacher, Cloris Leachman, Robert yeah. Stack, Bruce Willis, yeah. and Demi. Like li- yeah. every side character, I thought was really fun and. That that was when I was enjoying it the most. When it's just the scenes with Beavis and Butthead, I can't stand it. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> that's not a massive deal. That's just there, no, no, no. It? Well, that's they that's are... the thing. That's why I ended up because a lot of it at the start is kind of them where they're looking for the TV yeah. and they're trying to like. But mm. that is well, that to begin with the TV is essentially an episode that they would they would have done before. Yeah, with no ending, they just sort of would have ended without yeah. a TV. <laughs> <That's>... Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, for those people who haven't seen the film, the whole film is about like that Beavis and Butthead's TV gets stolen and it's basically them trying to find it and getting caught up in this criminal plot and a lot. You know what I've just realised? There's a character called Stuart in the series and he isn't in the film and I've only just realised that. Yeah, he's one of the major characters who's not in it, isn't he? Yeah. Hmm. Because in the series, their TV would have broken, so they would have gone to Stuart's house, and they would have been watching his TV, and then he would have been like, Oh, ma, uh, guys, my mum doesn't want me to, to watch TV for more than two hours a day, or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, sh- shut up, Stuart. And <laughs> it, it, that, that'd be like the, the episode, basically. But um, one thing here, actually, the very opening of the film, I, you know, like Murphy's Law and Sod's Law and things like that? Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to submit to you Soul's law <laughs> which is if a film is being made based on a TV series then it will open on a dream sequence featuring the protagonist of the series in a a kind of heightened um <laughs> fantastical reality <clears throat> So you're setting it up. You're setting it up as if it's going to be, oh wow, this big budget spectacular film. We've we've gone to big screen, and then it's like quit down. Yeah, is that the idea? To, to an extent, yeah, yeah. Partly that, and and that's the thing. They're always cut down to the most mundane thing. So in Ali G in the house, he's awoken by a dog licking his testicles after the big shootout action sequence in uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. You know, he, he he's dreaming about his first day at this oh no being promoted and and there's this whole like gun bomb disposal thing with a burger that needs cheese on it a goofy movie did it peewee's big adventure did it with him in winning the um some big bike race i forget which one it is like it's a really commonly done thing um and obviously beavis and butthead do america do it they open with them as like godzilla monsters fighting and then they wake up and they're just on the sofa that we see them in in uh the show but um i think it's partly done just because you want to inject as much cinematic scope and life into the film as you can without betraying the characters mm. and there's not a great you know deal of opportunity to do big fun animation stuff in something like beavis and butthead um they find pretty much every avenue available to them <laughs> to do it well they, they find yeah they they really hammer some in don't they yeah <laughs> You've got your, you know, your your trip sequence when they're hallucinating, and it's uh, is it Rob Zombie mm-hmm. who did that? Yeah, hmm. the the seventies style black exploitation. Yeah, the opening credits, <laughs> opening credits, which is not contextualized whatsoever. They don't even pretend that's a dream or anything. It's just completely uh, 
uh, unnecessary. Yeah. And uh, well, uh, if we talk about these these little things that are dropped in, and there's also that Red Hot Chili Peppers cover of uh, Love Roller. Coaster. Yeah. Well, the the soundtrack to this film is, I think, phenomenal. I think it's got a brilliant, brilliant soundtrack, um, and it's it's mostly songs that were written for the film. So that that cover that you just mentioned, for example isn't just a song they went and plucked it's you know they recorded it specifically for the film and it blows the original out of the water it's a great song but similarly you know walk on water by ozzy osbourne even that isaac hayes um black exploitation opening number at the start is done really well mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, well, well, uh, well. Basically, all those all those moments are song moments, and then there's a couple other montage bits where they just mm. basically shove a song over it. And from what I kind of understand, that was a bit of a compromise where the MTV were basically wanted it to be yeah. have music videos in it, or or like mm. have them commenting on music and stuff like that. And Makes so that sense. was yeah. it's a really good compromise because mm. it, it it gives you this real. It feels like it's come from this place and it's not turning its back on its origins, but at the same time, it isn't beholden to them. It isn't some nonsense where they're just like commenting on stuff that, you know, happens in front of them every 10 minutes. It's just an organic way of embracing their where they've come from. And like I say, I, I think the selection of music is brilliant in this film. I, I think it's a really good soundtrack. Yeah, um, and, and it allows them to play around with the animation. Um, mm, with the obvious yeah. example being the hallucination sequence, yeah. which goes into a very sort of uh, <laughs> metal, isn't it? Yeah, it's there's got to be a word for that kind of trippy, kind of... <laughs> acid trip animation. But it's like, it's yeah, it's like, or... uh, yeah, mm. but it's not quite, it's not like hippie-ish because it's all, it's mm. it's like a, it's like a 1980s Tattoo. hardcore metal uh, yeah. right. Like, right. Al- uh, album cover. It's like mm. animated girls with big tits or um, like yeah. little monsters. Like, well, Rob yeah. Zombie designed most of the things in it, so I mean that that'll tell you. What yeah, <laughs> and then mm. it's a Rob. Well, it's a white zombie song on the on the actual bit. I I don't know about you guys. I really love the animation in this film. It's it's very it's very basic, but it's it's done to a very high standard and it's just very warm and it, it makes me long for the days when you'd get that kind of just nice, simple hand-drawn animation in cinemas. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think Mike Judge's character design does a hell of a lot for this and his TV shows just to kind of sell that animation to you because he's got a very distinct way of drawing these kind of you know, frequently quite grotesque-looking human beings, really. But well, that's the thing. Um, like most of them, most of the cast uh, look very normal. But then you got mm. the kind of TV show cast, like Mr. Anderson, who looks so much more basic in terms of the animation. Well, I think that's just because he was one of the earliest characters exactly. well, introduced. They, they, well, they stayed updated. true to that. They've kept it. It's like when uh, <laughs> it's like when Doctor Marvin Monroe turns up in a modern episode of The Simpsons, and it's like right, this yeah. character design is not. Or when they brought back Santa's little helpers, like owner from the first episode, and <laughs> yeah, they just don't look right at all. Mm. Um, well, I just want to ask about the because so you mentioned that it's a case of passive protagonists that work. Like for yeah. me, for me, it really didn't work, and I'm just curious to know why, how it worked for you. Is it just that all the stuff going on around them is interesting enough? Because I, I think it's because there's a yeah, there's a really, I think, quite interesting, engaging, and funny plot happening. It, it's not just boring, and you're not kind of. It, it's not the 
it's not like an old Disney princess movie where the character is just whisked along and saved. It's it's kind of like they keep fucking shit up for themselves and making things worse through dumb luck, mm. or occasionally they'll luck out and it'll go in their favour. But it's, I think it's because it's done with a <laughs> the futility of life and dumb shit happens attitude, mm. and most of it, like I say, is just them causing chaos. It's not. It's not like they're lucking their way into a a structured um, way out of a situation. So it isn't like deus ex machina stuff coming to save them. Hmm. There's this plot that's going on that they're kind of apart from, and it all works, it all makes sense, and it all comes to a satisfying conclusion. But their story, they do have their own motivation. Like, they're trying to get laid, or they've got to go make this happen. And they're just, it's quite passive. But yeah. they do have enough of a kind of thing that, why are we going over here, right, for this reason? And it might be a really stupid reason, and just in that moment. Mm. Or because he's overdosing on pills and has become Cornholio, so now he's going to wander off over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, they have motivation for their own actions, but it's passive yeah. to the plot. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the thing that I found the most irritating, and maybe it's just uh, just something that I have about characters that are this uh, stupid. I guess it's like you know when they they miss the 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 bus that is taking them across America, they miss it because they're so fascinated by the automatic <laughs> urinals. Yeah, like that just really annoyed me. <laughs> it's just like just go and get on the fucking bus. It's like it really irritated me. And I think I think I'm all right with stupid characters like this, so long as one of them in a sort of Laurel and Hardy sort of way right. is the one who thinks he's smart and Well that's Butthead really, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say no that's that yeah that 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 is yeah. Which one's that? Is that the blonde one? No, no that's no. Beavis. No Butthead's okay. the smart one. As in he's the he's the Butthead's the one who thinks he's the smart one. Yeah. But... But he is relatively. Oh, I never got that. I never Beavis got that. Is. I think Beavis is the one who's got perhaps more kindness and creativity and stuff. So maybe he is <laughs> stupider, but he's, he'll go further. And I think that's really interesting that you of... can pick out those kind of um, uh, character distinctions. I think maybe if I went back to the film again and rewatched it, I would maybe pick that yeah. up. But... Well, bear in mind I've watched every episode of the TV series mm, as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. I suppose. And like But Butthead's the one who's like he'll try and get women. But Beavis doesn't really seem to notice all that, or not. To Beavis is into that, but it's more of a. He's almost like a younger brother who's doing it to impress his yeah. older brother. You know, it, it, mm. yeah. That's quite a good way of putting it. Although saying that, he obviously he obviously is like sexually virile, given the the uh, love he has of uh, whacking it. <laughs> Tom Anderson's tool shit. I, I did, I did really <laughs> find camp. that very funny, but I think that was more because of Tom Anderson's reaction to it. Oh I, gosh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I find it hilarious and it's purely down to Tom Anderson. There's part of me whenever I watch this who, who just like, wishes it was Hank Hill. Yeah. <laughs> just, especially at the start when he's going on about butane. So who is, butane who is, regulator. Who is Tom Anderson in the show? Is he just like a neighbour of theirs with this camper van? Because in the film he's like going on a road trip with his is it his wife or mother or she looked older. Yeah, it's his, it's his wife, oh, yeah. Right, yeah. He's just their neighbour and he was just a regular character. He's in loads of the episodes. He just occasionally um, gets annoyed by them whacking off in his tool shed. He's a bit <laughs> blind and naive and trusting and he'll always forget he'll always be like oh you you two fine young men you know you'll help me do this thing won't you oh, i had these two kids that these two hooligans caused so much havoc last time i'm trying to fix this now and you two can help me out like he'll always kind of never quite recognize them and 
Mm, mm. I think that there was an episode where they like I think he hires them to clean the pool or help help him install a swimming pool or something, and mm. they end up striking using tools that strike into the ground and they think they've struck oil, but it's just a sewage pipe, so <laughs> they're like filling up dustbins full of sewage and like carting them around his house that like they they would just frequently like destroy his house basically and get away with it and that was kind of their relationship and and yeah i mean i think the film does a great job of just taking his frustrations and his his very unfair like <laughs> the way the world just like slaps him repeatedly for no reason to the to the furthest extreme to its logical conclusion Mm. He gets such an unfair <laughs> rap in this film. You know, he's he seems like a nice guy, and and uh, you know, he's, he's just a good old boy. Yeah. Mm. So, should we talk about Bruce Willis and is it Demi Moore? Yeah. yeah. Were they married at the time? They were. Yeah. Uh, well, they're a, they're a, a warring couple uh, that the boys mm. get ping pong between, um, and and they're very much this film's right. We can afford a big celebrity mm. star. Who are we going to get? Cloris Leishman. <laughs> I was surprised at how much I, because I knew Bruce Willis was in the film going into it. I was surprised at how good a uh, performance he gives for a, yeah. a, a voice. I, like I thought it was really good. Yeah, he's yeah, doing I, proper I character, isn't he? Yeah, he's giving, yeah, yeah. His speaking voice isn't the most, um, uh, you know, rich or uh, entrancing, and I th- but I thought here it came off really well. It's like that crusty old guy in that episode of The Simpsons. What's the one where um, Bart steals that um, video game, and there's that crusty old uh, security guy? That guy, whoever I can't remember his name. He was in the Reservoir Dogs. Guy hated Dogs. hated doing the show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently he hated. Apparently he was just a crusty old man who was. Oh, yeah. I need to look up his name now. Sorry, Reservoir Dogs. He was in Reservoir Dogs. I know. I remember that. Uh, oh, Lawrence Tierney. Lawrence Tierney, that's it. Yeah, him. Him. I remember the showrunners were like terrified of giving him any kind of direction. And he apparently he, he didn't understand that he was like recording the character like leaving a, a a message on the answer phone, on the Simpsons answer phone, and he he didn't quite understand what it was and he said it was stupid, so they had to like coax him to say the words in a certain way and then they just put it on the Tell you what, the the end result in that episode is a fantastic vocal performance from him. Oh, he's like, great. They, yeah. they they did a great job of directing his, you know, voice work to say he sounded mm. very difficult. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, going back to Bruce Willis, he yeah, he he really does a good job here and I think this is Bruce Willis bringing his A game because I mean, I don't know if either of you have seen Rugrats Go Wild. <laughs> uh no, I haven't. It's the uh the third theatrical outing for the Rugrats. <laughs> mm. The uh, the second for the wild thornberries. Oh, it's in that which the one. Two, right, the yeah. two uh, cross over on an island and what have you. Well, anyway, um, Eliza Thornberry, who can speak to animals, uh, speaks to the Rugrats dog Spike, and he's voiced by Bruce Willis. Ah, and uh, yeah, I mean, just just look at that as a comparative piece for that. That's Bruce Willis dialing it in. Oh, really? That's oh, that's just interesting. Him. I mean, you know, he's fine in it. He's probably one of the best things in it, other than Tim Curry, who is, as ever, brilliant as Nigel Thornberry. Mm. Um, It's just, you know, it's just Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis, very standard. And then you look at what he did in this film. And yeah, he's really bringing something to the role. He's really, he's doing a bit of a voice. He's certainly doing a character. His voice has got a surprising amount of depth and, and 
just interesting quality to it, and hmm. yeah, I, I I think it is quite impressive. It is, to be honest, it's one of my favorite Bruce Willis performances, mm-hmm. um, and I you know I I really like Bruce Willis, so yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of nice little nods to to animation at the time uh, dotted in throughout the film. There's obviously there's the big um, Beauty and the Beast moment when, yes. they're, when they're dancing <laughs> the to yeah. I did quite like that. That was their big CG moment. <laughs> like. I did like that though. It just is such a nicely done little parody because it's you you wouldn't watch that and think what the hell was that if you didn't know what Beauty and the Beast was if you didn't get it. Mm. But at the same time, it's kind of like. That it's almost just this middle finger to Beauty and the Beast, like, yeah, we can do that too. Look, our characters are dancing, whatever. <laughs> then I, I guess there's yeah, the whole the whole subplot with the virus thing that's being carted across the country. Um it's it's perfect really, isn't it? Just to it's so hard to take characters like this and give them a movie that is big in scope without betraying the character and the, the scope of the show. And mm. we spoke about this in our the Office episode, and probably in our Absolutely Fabulous episode, um, I think we talk about how Alpha Papa did a great job of doing it for Alan Partridge and mm. other examples like that. And, and I think this film is a great example of hitting that line, really, getting it just right. Where Because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a doomsday scenario, frankly. This, this virus they're carrying could be, like, apocalyptic in scale if it gets out. But it's not sci-fi to the point that it's unbelievable, and it's it's all done at a very mundane level. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just a MacGuffin, really, at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, but, but oh, absolutely. The, what works about that whole side plot is that because the film's only 80 minutes long and you've got all the Beavers and Butthead stuff, that whole plot is maybe 40 minutes at most. Uh, yeah. And so it's really boiled down to its basics. Look, here's the thing. Here's mm. a cop chasing them. Here's a moment. Here's a moment. Here's the conclusion. And so it just comes together really nicely. But we, but it's so by the numbers, we all understand all these moments that are happening. And it doesn't cheapen it. It just makes it come together really nicely. And the characters do a huge amount to carry it um through without just feeling very mundane and boring you know robert stack for example is just he is wonderful in oh this yeah story. but yeah. that that character is bordering on parody and that and that's why it works yeah. on this uh format because we're seeing almost like a parody of that plot within this story mm. because it's so quick I mean, yeah. I mean, what future looking forward? Do you, do you think they ever will give us another offering of Beavis and Butthead in any capacity? Do you, how likely do you think it is that it'll? I think it's time has passed. Well, that's it. I don't know because I think the fact that it played so well, for example, in 2011 when they did the remake, as it had nearly 20 years earlier, there's nothing about Beavers and Butthead that really dates them. You can watch that mm. film from 1995 and it doesn't feel like, oh god, this is like. Like you watch, for example, Bill and Ted. That's a very kind <laughs> of well, an 80s, 90s stoner yeah. dude, uh, and Beavers and Butthead are kind of from that, but then they become something else. They don't feel dated, they don't feel fixed in a particular time, and I think that's perhaps why they have sort of lasted as long as they have. I don't know, I, I think they, they do feel fixed in a particular time. I think it is very much a Gen X, MTV, early 90s thing, and I, and that's fine. I think it's fine if it, if it is... Um, mm you know, period piece like that. I, I just don't think that maybe, whatever the equivalent of John X, Gen X is <laughs> in this day and age is going to resonate with these characters, I think. Something like Rick and Morty is probably more... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I certainly 
can't envision a world in which Beavis and Butthead are going to be a big enough draw to get enough people to go and see a film in the cinema that they, you know, that would have in the 90s. I think that's partly just, you know, hand-drawn animation isn't what it used to be in terms of appealing to people as well. At the same time, the landscape's completely different and you don't need as big an audience to make stuff anymore for it to be viable and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix thought it was in their you know interest to produce a Beavis and Butthead movie or something like that so yeah I and, if you can and, do it relatively or, or just a revival cheaply. of the show well that's the thing I don't I don't think it would cost very much to produce you you don't put Bruce Willis in it that's half your budget saved I certainly wouldn't be surprised if the show comes back or, or something I think they'll keep coming back for like skits and specials but it's just if they ever do something more substantial Mm. Mm. I think when Silicon Valley ends it'll be interesting to see because Mike Judge is probably going to just have free reign to kind of make anything he wants and he might just want to do more live action stuff with HBO he might want to do something else have either of you guys seen Silicon Valley actually just on a tangent no No, I don't think I've seen any other of Mike Judge's work except I saw um well, I'm not sure how much involvement he had in it. I saw Nerdland on Netflix. Oh, like, it's not going to be great, is it? Uh, no, is he's he not involved great, in that at all? He's, he's a voice for sure. I'm not sure. And I know that him and Chris Prynoski are uh, our mates. Chris Prynoski directed the uh, uh, the psychedelic sequence in Beavis and Butthead, and he directed oh, Nerdland. Okay. So I'm guessing they're mates, and I don't know what his involvement was, but yeah. But there were funny bits in it. He has a weird filmography when it comes to like acting, Mike mm. Judge. Like he he's in the um what are those Robert Rodriguez spy spy kids, he's in all the spy kids no movies. No way, he's like, seriously. Yeah, he's, he's oh like God. the head of the spy organization or something, and he's huh. just, just playing it as a like he's not doing a silly voice or anything. It's really weird. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know why. And and you know that R.I.P.D. film a few years ago. Um, yes. It was kind of like Men in Black. Yeah. Mike Judge was the he was like the voice of all the monsters and ghosts and things. They huh. just hired him to do like <laughs> noises. Um, <laughs> so he's he's got a very weird filmography with that regard. I mean, I don't know. I think Beavis and Butthead's quite quite a diamond in the rough. Certainly the film. I think the film's wonderful. I think King of the Hill is absolutely excellent. Just to say we'll probably never do an episode on King of the Hill. It's one of the most remarkably consistent pieces of television ever made. It's, yeah, and, it, and it did just it did just trundle on for years and years and it kind yeah. of Yeah. Thirteen seasons never skipped a beat. It was just enough ratings to get being made, but it wasn't a, this huge deal and it kind of just bubbled under for many years. Yeah. Like it blew up straight away and then just kept going didn't it and but yeah it was yeah. consistent and that's the thing season one is about as good as season 13 in fact season 13 if anything was one of the best seasons but it, it yeah like i say it never missed a beat that show it was just wonderful from start to finish and and i mean i think it was doing quite healthy ratings when it got cancelled it's just that fox were quite keen to bring in yet another seth MacFarlane show and mm. i think they really shot themselves in the foot and their animation block kind of fell apart shortly afterwards but yeah and he, he did office space if you guys have seen that i've never seen it but it's been on my list for a while yeah. it's it's all right i can see why people gravitate towards it that was based on some uh well it had similar origins to beavis and butthead actually he just did little short animations of the the guy in it who's played by Stephen root in the film and idiocracy i'll save that because there is a possibility i'll i'll pick that out for us to do an episode on one day it's yeah, I'll save that one. 
It's good, that film. Hmm. Extract, worth uh, skipping, because that's not great. And then Silicon Valley, which is one of the best things on television at the moment, and I, I really can't recommend it enough. Um, hmm. I don't know, I, I hope they do some more stuff with Beavis and Butthead down the line, but who knows, um, how would we, if if Mike Judge came to us and he said, guys, I want to do this, but I'm, I'm totally out of ideas, I'm just too busy on Silicon Valley, I can't I can't think up an idea, so I need you guys to think it up for me. <laughs> hmm. What what would you what would you pitch to him? Shall I go first? Okay. Sure. To be honest, what I would love is just a follow up film, mm-hmm. just a a straight sequel, just another adventure for Beavis and Butthead, pretty much exactly like the first one. And yeah, so just another adventure where they're completely passive protagonists who get sort of sucked into a much larger plot and pulls them on a road trip, because I think this sort of thing really does need to be a road trip, really. I I figure the logical thing, and it's not a particularly clever idea, is just Beavis and Butthead do Europe. Um, (laughs) Ah, They they go abroad and just end up getting um, into all sorts of opportunity for jokes, interacting with, you know, snooty French people and that sort (laughs) of thing. Um, But it's, it's really difficult to figure out a grounded idea that would that would kind of be big enough and work. I mean, I, I I really struggled with this. I came up with all sorts of things I'd love to see, but they'd completely betray the the tone of it all. So that's stuff like, you know, Beavis and Butthead go to Jurassic Park, for example, would be amazing, <laughs> but it just it wouldn't be in keeping with the show. Or a remake of Idiocracy, where Hank Hill is sent forward into the future and everyone is literally Beavis and Butthead <laughs> or Beavis and Butthead uh, wind up in a terrorist hostage situation but Alpha Papa did it so I don't think they can really do that so yeah like I say they they end up going to Europe I'd have them watching TV and they see that Metallica or ACDC or someone like that they're doing a world tour and they think it'll be cool to go and see them play in Highland because uh, they can, you know, pick up chicks and stuff while they're there. And one thing leads to another. Uh, let, let's say the roadies there are, like, busted on drug offences, or Beavis and Butthead somehow, you know, get them into trouble by mistake. And for whatever reason, they ended up getting drafted in as the new roadies mm-hmm. to help them on the tour. Okay, yeah. So that's, that's your reason for why they're going across Europe, why they're going from place to place. And then... I don't know, when, when they get to Berlin or something, um, hmm. you need something big to happen, so that that's where I was struggling, really. They'd need um, to get to like Amsterdam, think... surely, like, that'd be the... Oh, yeah, that well, th- yeah, that'd be great. Red Light District drugs. But that's the sort of thing, I mean, when Berlin is just where I picked out for the, the plot to really kick into gear. Mm, it doesn't uh-huh. have to be Berlin, it could be anywhere. Amsterdam, that's where they, like, that's like when they stop off at Vegas at the... Uh, and i don't know all i could really think of was again like terrorist hostage situation but you're either gonna get too close to alpha papa or you're gonna go into real life (laughs) yeah or that's it you're gonna go into like islamic terrorist route which might be a bit too uh touchy a subject oh they they get a mention in my pitch don't worry (laughs) (laughs) okay um In mine too, oddly enough. <laughs> I haven't really figured it out beyond that, because I couldn't think of anything that I felt was good enough. But, I mean, that that's the bulk of it. I, I think just have them thrown into a bigger plot again. Just do the same thing again. But right. in Europe. Diminishing returns. <laughs> uh, do you want to hear my pitch? Yes, please. Yay. Okay, because 
I love Tom Anderson, and now that, Sol, you connected the dots uh, with Hank Hill, I think I'm going to have to go and watch King of the Hill, because I... Uh... Oh, yeah, I think you'll like King of the Hill. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you give it a chance. It's, I mean, not only is it a great show, and I really, really highly recommend it. it mm. Like I say, it's it's 200 episodes plus, 13 seasons that never missed a beat. It, it's the most consistently good thing I I can think of. Hmm. Um, it's just so... It's like it's like The Simpsons' first two seasons. It's that sort of grounded, not very cartoony... To be perfectly frank, there's no reason for the whole thing to be animated other than why the hell not, and other than mm. you get Mike Judge's caricatures on people. Hank Hill is such a great, well-observed character. Peggy, his wife, is brilliant. You will, you would, you will actually love that. I, I, haven't, I haven't really connected it, but you will love it because Hank's Hank's really neurotic. Like he's a really neurotic character, mm. but in a very kind of I'm the man of the family. I need to present a certain type of Texas yeah. man kind of way. He's very well observed. He's a three-dimensional Tom Anderson, frankly. Except it's two-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he makes propane funny. That's the other thing. You, you won't, you won't be able to hear the word propane without laughing after you what watch is propane. <laughs> it's a gas, well, liquid. Oh, is it like when you put on barbecues? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Look, pr- Hank Hank Hill is a propane salesman. That's his job. So he's always, <laughs> always going on about propane and the benefits of propane over charcoal and uh-huh. how it's the best thing to cook your meat on. There's one episode where Bobby like joins an improv class and Hank hates all the like improv comedy, but then Bobby starts doing propane themed. Uh, improv comedy and Hank loves it and they're able to bond doing they they become the propaniacs and do like a tour of the propane business circuit as these like doing these very specific jokes about butane and charcoal policemen pulling them over and because they've not got adequate fuel and just (laughs) just stuff that doesn't make any sense at all and then Oh, I'm gonna have yeah, to it, watch King of Hell again. <laughs> it, is it, is, it is brilliant, and you've got Dale Gribble and all these other characters propping them up. It, it's very good. You'll love Peggy Hill though as well, Calvin. Is that his wife? Yeah, yeah, but she she's like a real again a really <laughs> well observed. Like, character. She's like the Texas champion of Boggle <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah, you should watch it. It's good. So my my pitch is just a synopsis of it is. I just want a Tom Anderson movie, and Tom Anderson, his wife, driving Mr. around Anderson. the US. Doing, but spe- I want them to have a specific objective, which is that, um, obviously, they're quite right-wing and probably would vote Republican. So uh, I want the the film to be set during the, the previous presidential election, and oh, him and his man. wife... You know are- what? It's such a shame King of the Hill isn't on the air now, because I would mm. love to see them address Donald Trump. Yes. Because... That is exactly the sort of Hank Hill's like a Ronald Reagan Republican, you know, he, he, mm. like a I like Ike in the movie with Tom Anderson. You, mm. he, but he would not like Trump, mm. but and there'd be a real conflict there with yeah. yeah. Well, in my, in my film, Tom Anderson and his wife, uh, they want to go to a, one of the Trump talks, like the rallies that you know he does, and they really want to be in the audience. But for whatever reason, they are constantly getting foiled in their attempts to <laughs> get there. Maybe, maybe it could even be Beavis and Butthead who are like <laughs> just foiling cameo. every attempt. So <laughs> it is, a, it is a road trip film of them following Trump around America, trying to get into one of his rallies just to just to watch and be supportive. But they are foiled. <laughs> 
every step of the way along the along the journey. Anyway, that's kind of it for my pitch. Uh, uh, yeah, what sort of scrapes could they get into? Well, I was going to ask. You could have it like they go into different states, and so you have different things yeah. like, for what the state is famous for. Mm. So, like, they can go to Gay Pride <laughs> in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, they wouldn't like that. Can can they can they on the way out? Can they pass through Arlen? And run into. He needs to top up the butane in his tank, and there's a pushy propane salesman, and they they don't get along at all. But they're like almost identical. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Shall I do my pitch? Yeah. Go yes. on then. Okay. My film is also a road trip uh, kind of film. My film is called Sol and Calvin to America. oh god (laughs) so we have we start we could start you know with our two plucky young leads sat on the settee uh but they'd be watching a film rather than music videos and maybe Mm. making comments on it uh Uh, (laughs) i don't know what hey calvin (laughs) yeah yes i'll (laughs) this film sucks (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah something like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> yeah. we don't need to. Oh, what, we, what, just, we can just do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, okay. So um, Sol decides he wants to visit America so that he can find the grave of George A. Romero uh, and try and reanimate <laughs> him <laughs> with uh, with some sort of Necronomicon thing or something. <laughs> uh, but bearing in mind, at the time of recording, George A. Romero died last night. So presumably, yeah, less, if, if you... less than twenty four hours. Like, body's not even cold yet. Presumably, if you hadn't thought of it this afternoon, this could have been going to see, like, the grave of Roger Moore or something. Yeah, exactly. I would have made it work. Um, But, you know, this is the George A. Romero memorial episode, so... Ah. um, (laughs) uh, Tune in next week for the Martin Lando memorial episode. (laughs) Oh. No, okay, so... Tune in next week for the... Whoever. Chevy Chase. We are. Oh, oh, that's a prediction. Oh my god, if he actually dies now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he wants to go and find the grave of George A. Romero to try and turn him into a zombie. Now, <laughs> Calvin isn't keen on this idea, particularly until he hears that, for some reason, uh, George A. Romero has been interred in South Dakota. Now, um, what is the only interesting thing in South Dakota? Are you sure he's... Is that... Have you looked this up? No. Well, I don't think he's been buried yet. I don't know, I'm just... <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being buried in Canada, you know. Well, I don't is he know. Canadian? He he's become a Canadian citizen. He he like right. he's got joint citizenship. He lives there and now well lived there. <laughs> hmm. uh, no, my my South Dakota connection is purely to make Calvin agree to go because Calvin. What it'll be Canada or Pittsburgh, one of those two. Calvin, what is in South Dakota? What's the only interesting thing about South Dakota? Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. There you go. So, <laughs> are you going to make this? Are you going to tie this into Martin Landau as well? No, no, no. Oh right, I thought you were going to go down a North by Northwest route. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just doing a couple of references to films. That's all. It's not really. Oh, nice, right. oh okay. Um, but we can, you can, we can hammer Martin Landau in there if you want. Uh, Calvin wants to visit Mount Rushmore uh, because of North by Northwest. So we follow. Landau, let's go for some chocolate frosted milkshakes. That was him, right? <laughs> well, that doesn't sound like Martin Landau. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Wasn't Homer Simpson like based on no Walter, Walter Matthau. Matthau? Walter Matthau, that's the one. 
<laughs> I was going to say that didn't make sense in my head. Come on, boy. Let's go for some chocolate frosted milkshakes. Oh, there's propane. In the- oh, ladybird. <laughs> stop eating that propane. Dang it, Bobby. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> it's the cartoon cartoon all stars episode. <laughs> right, okay. Do you so... ever see that cartoon all stars thing they did in the nineties to say no to drugs? Yeah, where they that's got, like, amazing. Garfield and Bugs Bunny and Teenage Mutant they... Ninja Turtles and George Bush Senior. My, my favorite thing is that they, Bush. they got George C. Scott to voice <laughs> yeah, the villainous the cloud of smoke that encouraged the young boy to do marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and then and then Winnie the Pooh and Bugs Bunny come out to be like, don't do marijuana, Jonathan, or whatever his name is. And he's like, oh, all right then, yeah. As if as if any fourteen year old who's like gonna you know think about doing drugs would watch that and think, you know what? All right, no, not gonna do it. Yeah, if well, Bugs Bunny, if Winnie the Pooh it. says. So, then, uh... <laughs> anyway, yeah. right? Okay, so. This is a road trip across America, and we follow uh, um, Saul and Calvin. And in keeping with the Beavers and Butthead uh, theme, they're going to find themselves caught up in international intrigue without even being aware of it. Now, this all starts when they arrive at New York. Uh, They go visit the Statue of Liberty. So we get through airport security okay. Calvin hasn't packed his replica man with a golden gun (laughs) gun or anything like that. Oh, that's a lovely little moment we can put in. There you go. And we have a little (laughs) moment at the airport. Throw in anything you like. We just this is it's like Beavis and Butthead. It's just it's just a series of sketches, really. You know, it's just mm, yeah. we'll throw it together. So they go to the Statue of Liberty, uh, and they're they're at the museum, that, and it celebrates the ideals of what the Statue of Liberty was, and you know it represents the you know what people what the immigrants saw when they were coming across, and uh, and and all that uh, immigration in the late sort of nineteenth century, and that's what it's all about. Uh, but Calvin is feeling a bit uneasy about all this immigration talk. He doesn't like it, so um, <laughs> so. <laughs> So Saul tries to cheer him up by reenacting scenes from films that involve the Statue of Liberty. Come on, boy. Let's go to the Statue of Liberty. Ghostbusters 2. Yep, yeah, I've got Saboteur. that. So I've got I've got Planet of the Apes, you've got to do that bit. And then X-Men. Uh, ah, yes. Pretend yeah. he's Magneto. Um, Men in Black 2. What happens yeah. in that? <laughs> that classic. At the end, they, they wipe everyone. They neuralize oh, yeah, yeah, their yeah. memory with the... The, the thing in the Statue of Liberty is a, a giant neuralizer. <laughs> yeah, saboteur, exactly. saboteur. What happens in Saboteur? The, the, the Hitchcock film at yeah, the what's, end. What's um, the Statue of Liberty bit? Well, they, they end up on top of it, and then the hero has to save the villain to try and clear his name, and then the villain falls to his death. Mm. That happens a lot in Hitchcock films. Yeah. Okay, so then... Saul, he does Ghostbusters 2. He pretends he's stomping around New York and stamping on people as if they're mice. <laughs> uh, and then uh, one of the locals right, notices this and thinks, oh, I think this is a terrorist threat, right? Because he's talking about destroying New York. And so he reports it to the police. Now, the policeman, he sees them. He's a little suspicious of Saul because he's got, you know, he's a bit well-tanned, dark hair, all that sort of thing. But then he sees he's with Calvin, <laughs> who is, you know, whiter than white. He is the whitest man in the world. And so... <laughs> Thinks, oh, that's fine. They can't possibly be terrorists uh, because we know white people aren't terrorists. That's a fact in America. Uh, So he decides, (laughs) unless they're Irish, he decides to leave them. Uh, he decides to leave them be but then he, he just as he's leaving he, he has this sudden memory he goes he goes to his little file of uh, you know the FBI's most wanted or whatever and would you believe it it turns out that Saul is a dead ringer for an infamous Mexican bandido who has recently escaped from jail 
So now, so basically the main body of the film is the police chasing Sol and Calvin as, and just missing them every turn as they visit famous American landmarks. So, you know, we can, we can do, then we can do the tour of like historical uh, film hotspots. I thought they could do a bungee jump off the Hoover Dam. Thought that would be a, oh, yes, a good a moment. Eye, uh, what else? James Bond's been all over America. What else could he do? Wait, so when, when we're doing the Hoover Dam, Calvin will be doing all that stuff and I'll, I'll just be quoting Beavis and Butthead do America. Exactly. <laughs> is this a goddamn? We could uh, we could go to Louisiana and get into a car with a redneck sheriff. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that could get, they could get picked up by the local police but he doesn't realise that they're wanted and so and then so then ah. the FBI turn up and they throw him out or something. Uh, so I, I assume at some point we go to Hollywood. Not No, not peak, exactly. Peak meta. Not, not quite. I, can, I'm, I don't think I'd go to America without going down, visiting the Chinese theatre and looking at all the stars. Look, yeah. Calvin, it's Jimmy Stewart's hands. <laughs> oh, Jimmy Stewart, I love Jimmy Stewart's hands. Oh, look how small his hands are. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to put my hands in his hands and see who's got the biggest hands. Take a picture. Oh, I'll, I'll get a picture. Oh, look, Calvin, it's it's Jack Sparrow. He's coming over for a photo. <laughs> oh, hello, it's me, Jack Sparrow. Oh, so I'm scared. Let's go home. <laughs> You know, apparently one of those guys, there was a, a Freddy Krueger who apparently, um, like, the, the, he, there's some guy had a photo with him and he didn't pay him money or something, so he, like, slashed him, like, with his <laughs> hands his and hands. got arrested. <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... It's funny. So we don't visit Hollywood. Uh, I haven't I haven't incorporated that, but you can we can put it in. It's not a problem. But for for the plot purposes, when the next st- stage is just when the police look like they're going to get them, they sort of catch up with them. They overhear something Calvin says about uh, the whole going to South Dakota, digging up George Romero thing. But they don't quite get the full information, and they uh-huh. think they think they're going there to meet like the lo- Mister Big, right? Like the the next step up in the chain. So mm. now they're like, right, we'll just follow them, and we'll follow them to the next kind of guy, and we'll work upwards. Um, so then they do eventually make it to South Dakota. They dig up George A. Romero's corpse. They eventually make it to George A. Romero's grave. They dig up his corpse. And then we have the whole Weekend at Bernie's style bit of the film where they have to uh, pass oh, him off yeah, as their... Oh, uh, He's like their Uncle George and they, they and they have to stop off and take him into <laughs> diners and all that other sort of quaint Americana. <laughs> and, and the police don't realise he's a corpse because the police are watching them. So now they're following all three of them in the belief that they're going to lead them to like the head man of this criminal operation that they, they have. Have either of you seen have either of you seen Weekend at Bernie's two? No. No, not two, I don't think. They actually do a voodoo spell and turn the corpse into a zombie. Oh, <laughs> it god. actually has a zombie in it. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> it's it's I genu I might make us do that film on this podcast <laughs> at some point. Like I, I think hmm. it's brilliant. Well, no, I it's it's, it's so bad it's good. It's one of those. Anyway. Uh, okay, so um, now, where they're actually heading now on their road trip is they're going to Seattle, uh, where, oh. where they intend to gatecrash the filming of a new feature film version of Frasier. Um, <laughs> now, they arrive at the filming location and they manage to get on set because Calvin puts on a wig and pretends to be Jane Leaves. And then they come <laughs> and they convince the security guard that the corpse of George A. Romero is actually John Mahoney, who has had too much to drink at lunch and is now unconscious. Who's Frasier's dad in the thing? That's, yeah. Who's still alive and not that old. But, uh... He's the same age as George A. Romero, actually, I think. 
<gasps> oh shit! I, think. Oh, I hope they do get on with that Frasier movie sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, he's in his well into his seventies. <laughs> Could you do a convincing Jane Leaves? Oh hello, I'm Daphne. Daphne <laughs> Moon. <laughs> I can see in the, the future, you know. <laughs> now, once on set, they immediately cause chaos because. The new dog that is playing the dog um, <laughs> jumps up and grabs the arm of George A. Romero and rips it off and then runs away to sort of gnaw at it like <laughs> dogs do. Um, and so <laughs> the furious Kelsey Grammer, he realises that they're imposters. He attempts to apprehend them, but um, as he rushes towards them, he accidentally stands <laughs> on a rake that someone has left lying around. <laughs> or he could possibly fall off a stage. Uh, <laughs> that works just as well. Now, our, our boys, they're big fans of Frasier, so they, they rush to help him. Right at this moment, the police storm in and arrest everyone. Uh, now, they're under the impression that Kelsey Grammer is the head of an international criminal organization, <laughs> so they drag him away for questioning. Um, Sol and Calvin are bundled into a police van, and it looks as though they'll be going to be end up in Guantanamo or somewhere. And then the van suddenly stops at an airport. The distinctly Hispanic-looking policeman who is driving the van... Uh, releases them, and it turns out he's still under the impression that Saul is the infamous Mexican bandido. And he explains that he is a member of the gang, and he's gone undercover as a police officer, police officer to help out the organization from the inside. Uh, so Saul obviously has to put on a bad Mexican accent to kind of say thanks, uh, and the guy gives them um, uh, fake passports and tickets for a plane to Mexico City, thus setting up our sequel, Saul and Calvin, colon, Dia de los Muertos. <laughs> so that will be a whole different sequel so Sol ah. and Calvin do America uh, do Mexico <laughs> I hope to hear that someday perhaps when we do our machete uh, <laughs> episode do you think we can get enough listeners to the point that we can launch a kickstarter campaign to make diminishing returns the movie <laughs> and then just basically make that can we afford Kelsey Grammer we might have to go with Gary oh. Chalk as, as a stretch goal <laughs> The unofficial mascot diminishing <laughs> No, let's get um, Michael Gross. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Michael Gross. I forgot Gross, about yeah. Michael Gross. I forgot we liked him. Can we... Okay. Okay, so if we're doing the film, I want to be played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Calvin, who do you want to play you? Oh, Zac Efron. <laughs> <laughs> and Sol can be Danny Trejo. <laughs> we can't afford Kelsey Grammer, but we can afford Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, but Dwayne he, the he, Rock, the president. He Johnson. does it. He does it for the love. You see, if you give it's a good enough script. He'll <laughs> we, we, in fact, he's going to pay for it. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> he's executive producer. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Danny Trejo. <laughs> Is that the only Mexican you could think of? Might as well be, might as well be Cheech Marin. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, Calvin, hey, let's go to Mexico, man. <laughs> old, Charlton, old, old Charlton Heston, he played a Mexican. Right. Well, as always, thank you for listening. And do come back next week as we return to the whole tying films in with upcoming theatrical releases shtick that we do. I mean, what, what's out next week? Uh, hang on. Just one second, guys. Hello? Someone there? Hello? Beep, beep! Hi! Do you mind? I'm, I'm in the middle of recording an outro for the podcast at the minute. Are you trying to make me sound stupid in front of the listeners? 
Don't need any help from me, sir. Oh, are you a listener? I suppose not. Well, basically, it's a show where we talk about films and pitch our own ideas for the sequel. There's three of us. Calvin's the James Bond fan. Girly boy. You're too old! You're all too old! No, no, Alan's the old one. Then there's myself. Uh, let's see, how to sum me up. Alan likes to do jokes about how I barely have contact with my father. Very wise of your dad, very wise indeed. Oh, well, that's a bit uncalled for. I don't know. How would you sum me up then? Such a perfect specimen of manhood. Kiss me, fat boy. No, get off. What is this? Are you, are you negging me? You still haven't told me who you are. I am the worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. No, no, that's not true. We did an episode where Alan told us about the time he got stuck hiding naked in a cupboard with a raging erection. I can't open the cupboard at night now for fear that he'll be standing there staring me in the face from down below. You know that television makes one look terribly roly-poly. You may not recognize me. Go on. This is Sir Nigel Thornberry. Oh, Japanese Nigel Thornberry? I'm not Japanese! Oh, sorry. So let me get this straight. We mentioned you in the episode. So now you're here to bridge the gap between this week's episode and next week's episode. Is that right? Anything can happen on Halloween. Your dog could turn into a cat. Oh, right. Well... <sighs> I hate to tell you this, but we're not actually doing it as our Halloween special this year. It's just a regular episode we're dropping in with all the other ones. Oh, come on, Michael. No, sorry. Look, right, I, I need you to go. I'm still recording. Go? Without this, I'll kill you all. <laughs> That's Harris all over.